Let's take our Bibles, turn to the book of John, John chapter 9 this morning. John chapter 9, we'll begin looking at this passage of Scripture together this morning. And I hope you came with an open heart and an open mind to listen to God's Word this morning. So thankful for truth. Last week we looked at John chapter 8 where Jesus said, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The freedom that we have in our lives, the freedom that we have in our country, the freedom that we have in every day as we go day by day only comes through truth. And the ultimate freedom is freedom through Jesus Christ. Jesus, though, as he's walking on, the Bible says, as he passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Kind of rude of the disciples, maybe, to ask that question. He was blind. He wasn't deaf. He could hear what they were saying, and yet they're talking about him right there in front of him. What's wrong with this guy? Why was he born blind? Did he sin, or was it his parents? And Jesus answered, verse 3, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. To be made manifest is to be seen or to be known. And he says in verse 4, I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. This man, in his, the way he was born, the things that he had that were struggles for him, his blindness, it was something that he had no control over. It was something that just happened to him. I want to ask you a question this morning. Why do we suffer? Why do bad things happen in our lives? What is the cause of these things. This man, he, he couldn't go to school like all the other boys and girls could go to school when he was growing up. He couldn't work a job. That's why he was sitting there begging for money. He couldn't uh, marry. He wouldn't have had children. He'd never seen a sunrise or a sunset. He'd gone through all of this difficulty in his life and all of his suffering. And, his disi- and the disciples' question to Jesus was, who did wrong? Was it this man, or was his family bad, right? Was he bad, or was his family bad? See, when bad things happen in our life, we often assume that it's of something that we did, right? Or it's just bad karma. That's a word people use sometimes. But see, Jesus is pointing out something here. It's not up to karma to decide what happens in our life. It all has to do with his kingdom, and what Jesus desires to do. Some people think, well, you either come from a bad family or maybe you're just a bad person. That's why all these bad things happen. See, when suffering happens in our lives, it can be caused by a lot of different things. It can be caused by our sin, right? We, we do wrong, we do something foolish, we do something contrary to what God has told us to do, and it may bring difficulty in our life. You make bad choices, bad things can come out of that. It could be the sin of your family. That is a possibility, right? A child who grows up in a family with parents who treat him wrong and do wrong things may cause some suffering in his life. 
So the disciples' question of the man's sin or his family, those are two possibilities, but those don't scratch the surface really of all the possibilities of what could cause suffering in this man's life, right? It wasn't necessarily a sin. It wasn't necessarily that some bad thing had happened to his mother, and that's why he was born with this physical birth defect of not being able to see. A third thing that can cause suffering is the fact that we live in a fallen world. Folks, this world is broken. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This world has been broken from the time that Adam and Eve first sinned in the Garden of Eden. And because of that sin, it brought brokenness and destruction and despair in this world. Sometimes suffering happens in our life because of some kind of demonic attack. Yes, that is a real possibility. Not the only possibility, but it is real. Think about what happened to Job in the Old Testament. This man, the Bible says, he was a righteous man who feared God. He followed God. He stayed away from evil. He did that which was right. And yet Satan came and he brought all kinds of pain and suffering in Job's life. In the space of one day, he lost all of his wealth and he was a very rich man. He lost everything that he had, and all of his children died. Talk about suffering. Then his own wife turns on him and says, You know what? Curse God and die. If that's how God's going to treat you, turn your back on him. His own friends come to him. He has three friends. And what do those friends come and say to Job? So what kind of sin did you do, Job? What did you do wrong to bring this upon yourself? Now, Job wasn't facing suffering because he had done all these bad things. He was facing suffering because the devil was trying to attack him. Another thing that can bring suffering in our life is that you're a victim, right? If you're driving down the road and you're doing right and you're obeying the speed limit, you're doing all the things you should do, it doesn't stop somebody else from drinking too much, getting in their car and wrecking into you. You could just be a victim. Now, I understand, and you do as well, some people claim to be victims that aren't really victims. That's possible too. And then that brings suffering more of your own choices. But it's very possible that you could have done nothing wrong and just be a victim. Sometimes it's just a mystery. Sometimes there's suffering that happens in our life. There's difficulty and we look and we ask and we question and we can't figure why we're going through this difficult time. If you remember in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, the man that God used to write much of the New Testament, he faced some suffering in his life. He called it a thorn in his flesh. Have you ever had one of those? Something that just seems to bother you and nothing seems to fix it. The Bible says that Paul prayed to God and asked God to remove this thorn in his flesh. And God chose not to take it away. So you might be sitting there this morning thinking, Pastor, you mean to tell me that sometimes there's suffering in our life and God doesn't take it away when we ask Him? That's right. Sometimes it's a mystery. But the Bible tells us that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. When we can't see what the answer is, we have to trust in a God who's in control. 
Some people are bad, and that brings suffering in their lives. Some people are broken. They're facing suffering because of things that have been done to them or the way that they grew up. This question that is asked of these disciples, why did this happen? Why? Why? What did he do wrong? The answer wasn't that the man had sinned, but rather the man was broken. He was in a difficult situation, but it wasn't through any fault of his own. See, I think this is natural for us. Little children like to ask why a lot, right? But that doesn't go away when we get big. We still like to ask God why. God, why did you do this? Why did you allow this? But see, the better question to ask is not why, but rather, how can I use what God has allowed in my life to glorify Him? See, everything that happens to us happens for a purpose and a reason. You say, how do you know that? Because we serve a God who has a purpose and a reason for everything He does. We serve a God who's in control of everything. The Bible says He can hold the entire universe in His hand. That's pretty incredible, isn't it, to think about? I can't hold much of anything in my hand compared to the universe. He's in control. He knows everything. So if something happens in my life, it happens for a purpose. I may not know the purpose, and I may question God and say, God, why am I suffering? Why am I going through this difficulty? The better question to ask, though, is, no, God, how can I use what you've allowed in my life to bring glory to you? Jesus says it this way in verse number 3, Neither hath this man sin, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. God allowed this little boy to be born blind and then grow up to become a man and still be blind. Not because of his sin or the sin of his parents, but rather that God's works would be made known so that people would see that God had power and that God was in charge and that God was in control and that people would glorify God because of what they saw in this man's life. And not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but if you know what happens in the story, did God get glory out of this? Yes. Did this man's sight get restored? Yes, it did. But he had to go through a lot of life, a lot of days and weeks and months and years of suffering. You say, wow, that took a lot. God knows what it takes to bring people to where they need to be so that he can be glorified through it. The better question is, how can I glorify God in my suffering? You may say, well, what do you mean, how can I glorify God in my suffering? Let me give you some examples. If you are suffering because of your own sin, because you have done something wrong, you can glorify God in your suffering by repenting and turning from your sin. If you've done wrong and that's brought some pain and suffering, then turn to God. Why, do, why does God allow consequences because of our sin? Because he wants to, us to know that sin is bad and sin takes us to places where we shouldn't be and sin separates us from God. And yes, there's some painful consequences that come in my life because of sin. Yes, I might even call it suffering because of my sin. So how can I glorify God if I'm suffering because of sin? 
Repent. Turn from it. Ask God to forgive you of your sin. But you might say, well, I haven't sinned. I haven't done anything wrong. Well, here's another way you can glorify God in your suffering. You can glorify God in your suffering by being a testimony or an example to other believers. When you go through a hard time, let me encourage you. Maybe this will encourage you. There's probably somebody else going through something similar. Oftentimes when we go through something hard, we tend to think, boy, I'm the only one that's ever had this. You ever hear people tell stories about their hard times and then go on and on and on telling you all the details about all the struggle and you're listening going, this story sounds familiar. I've heard this from somebody else. I, this something similar has happened to me. And sometimes I've come up on those conversations where everybody's trying to top the other person with how bad they've suffered. Oh, let me tell you, it was bad. And they finished the story and I had this really bad thing and I fell and I broke my leg. And somebody says, well, you broke your leg. That's not so bad. My leg got chopped off, you know. And then they go, someone, third guy walks in. He says, well, your leg got chopped off. I mean, come on. I'd have both arms sewed back on. It was so bad. You know, another guy goes, come on. It wasn't that. And it just gets bigger and bigger and everybody talks about their suffering. That's not what we're talking about being a testimony about your suffering, okay? Yes, we know you may have gone through some bad things, and it's not bad to tell somebody else what you're going through. That's not my point. But it's not there to glorify our suffering, but rather to be a testimony to others of what God has done in our lives to help us through that difficult time. Have you gone through a loss of a loved one? How did God encourage you? What verse of Scripture did God give to you to encourage you with in that difficult time that maybe you can then share with somebody else? I'm so encouraged when I see people go through difficulty and suffering, not because of the suffering that they're going through, because, but I see how big God is to give them the strength to be able to persevere and be faithful through the difficult time. You can be a testimony to somebody else through your difficulty, through your suffering. Another way that we can glorify God in our suffering is by being a witness to unbelievers. Back to losing a loved one. Some of us have lost a loved one. I've lost several. And I'm thankful for those that I've lost when I knew that they were trusting in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Because when they died, while I was sad that they were gone, the Bible says it this way, we don't sorrow as those that don't have hope. I have hope because I know where they're at. Some people say, well, I hope they're in a better place. No, if they knew Jesus Christ, I know they're in a better place. We can have confident assurance of that. So even when we go through these difficult times, we can glorify God by then being a witness to unbelievers. People look at you and say, how can you still be joyful? How can you go through this? Your life is hard. How are you able to... Put up with all those kids. How are you able to deal with those situations, that, that struggle at work, that hard thing that you're going through? Well, because I have the Lord. And I can bring glory to Christ in my suffering as a testimony to unbelievers. Another way that we can glorify God in our difficult times and our times of suffering, it's also an opportunity to comfort those around us. I love what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1.4, who comforteth us in all our tribulation. That's hard times. 
that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. You say, wow, that verse uses comfort a lot. Well, when you're going through a hard time, you need a lot of comfort, don't you? He's saying here, when you've gone through a hard time and you've had some help, some comfort to get through it, now you can take that same comfort that you've received and give it to somebody else who's also going through a hard time. The first time I really remember a message being preached out of that particular passage of Scripture was by a man by the name of John Bishop. Some of you may know him. And John Bishop's gone through some incredible physical struggles in his life. He was a pastor, a preacher, and, and had been serving God for a number of years. And, and he contracted this awful illness that caused, has, has brought problems for him for the rest of his life. I mean, he was in a coma. He forgot who he was, forgot who his wife was. I mean, all these things. He had to relearn it all. To this day, though, he deals with awful migraines every day. Headaches so bad that he said it feels like his head's going to just split open. You say, how does he deal with that? You know, the, one of the most powerful things in the world, though, is when I saw him get up and preach on 2 Corinthians 1-4 and talk about being able to comfort others with the comfort that he had been comforted by. You say, how can you get through that? He'd say, God. How are you able to deal with that difficulty in your life? God gave me the strength. You see, we can bring glory to God in our suffering by being a testimony and a comfort to those around us who are suffering as well. Jesus deals with this question and he says, the right answer or the right question is not why, but rather, how can I glorify God? And he says, this happened to this man so that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Notice what happens though in verse 6. He says, when... He had thus spoken, he spat on the ground, he made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, how are thine eyes open? He answered and said, a man that is called Jesus made clay, anointed mine eyes, and said unto me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. Then said they unto him, where is he? He said, I know not. Think about what just happened. Jesus, to heal this man's eyes, he spits on the ground, in the dirt, takes that mud that he makes out of the spit and the dirt, and rubs it in the guy's eyes. Now, if you know anything about your eyes, generally rubbing mud in your eyes and somebody made from somebody else's spit and dirt is not usually the best way that you would go about taking care of your eyes, would it be? Why did Jesus do this? Couldn't Jesus just have spoken to the man and said, your eyes are healed? He could have. We're going to get into this here in a minute, but I think it's very interesting how Jesus chose this method to heal this guy. It wasn't because there was some magic in the mud. But Jesus was 
pointing out some things to the onlookers. You see, this was happening on the Sabbath day. And on the Sabbath day, the religious leaders had said, you can't do any work at all. Well, the Bible said this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, right? And not, not to be working on the Sabbath day. But they took that work to mean all kinds of things. Like one of the things they said is you can't knead. Like to knead bread. K-N-E-A-D, knead. What was Jesus doing when he was down there making mud on the ground? He's kneading. What happened when he told this man to go to the pool of Siloam? Did you know the religious leaders had also made up an additional rule to go along with what wasn't in the Bible, but just their own rule? And they said, you can't travel over a certain distance from your house on the Sabbath day. Well, what was Jesus, in effect, making this man do on the Sabbath day? Travel. Go a distance. Do you think Jesus had something that he was trying to teach the religious leaders that stood there around? That maybe their religious rules and their ideals and things that they had come up with that were not a part of Scripture, but rather things that they had added above and beyond what the Bible said to try to say this is what makes somebody righteous. Jesus was pointing out to them that your religious things are not godly things. And that God can work in spite of and outside of what you call religion. Did you know how many times Jesus healed on the Sabbath? I think it was seven times. You might correct me, but I think it's seven. Seven times on the Sabbath. Why did he pick this day as opposed to all the other days? The religious leaders didn't like him healing on the Sabbath. Because every time he healed on the Sabbath, they kept talking about it like it was a problem because they said he was working on the Sabbath by healing people. And Jesus is saying to these religious people, folks, you've got it all mixed up. You're missing the point. Jesus came to be the light of the world to give people truth and hope and freedom. We looked at a few weeks ago that he's the bread of life. And instead, what are they bringing? Darkness and destruction and pain and struggle and bondage because they've made up a bunch of things that aren't part of Scripture. So Jesus chooses a very unique way to heal this man. And this man is sharing what Jesus has done for him with other people. He doesn't know very much, does he? But he does know who helped him. You may not know very much, but if you know the one that has the answers, if you know it's God, you can point people to him. Jesus, he sends him to the pool of Siloam. He washes, he comes away seeing the people, when they see him, they begin to question him. First of all, they look at him and they say, how do we know that you can really see? How do we know that your eyes are open? Right? They said, this is he that, which had been blind and said, is not he that sat and begged? And some said, this is he. Others said, he's like him. But he said, I am he. They're going back and forth. Is this really the same guy? Or is this somebody different? What, what happened here? What's going on? Finally, the guy stops him all. He goes, yes, it's me. I'm the blind guy that's not blind anymore. I can see. Then, then they ask him the question, well, who opened your eyes? Well, that's not really fair to ask the blind guy either, is it? Because Jesus wasn't around when his eyes were open, Where was he? He had sent them to the pool of Siloam. Jesus is gone at this point. Here's another very interesting thing 
about what this man said and about what Jesus did of giving sight. Why was it such a big deal that Jesus was healing a blind man and a blind man on the Sabbath? I already talked a little bit about healing on the Sabbath. But there's something very important about the fact that he was a blind man. If you look in your Bible in Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 7, there's a prophecy about the one who would come, the Messiah. And one of the things that this prophecy said is that he would come to give sight to the blind. And it's interesting, of all the physical problems that Jesus healed, he restored sight to blind people more than any other miracle that he did. Isn't that interesting? Jesus was pointing out the fact, I'm the one that was promised. I am the Messiah. I am the answer to what you've been looking for for all of these years. Jesus gives sight to the blind. And then he talks about it in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. He says, And he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives. Notice the next phrase. And recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He closed the book, he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. Remember I said God always does everything for a purpose. He allowed this man to be born blind, to grow up blind, because he wanted the works of God to be shown in him. And one of those works was for Jesus to be able to make it abundantly clear to all the people that were watching that Jesus was the fulfillment of this Old Testament prophecy. He was Messiah. And see, we could miss that because we don't read the Old Testament like we should at times. We don't understand it. These people knew what the Old Testament said. Not only did they know it, Jesus then read it so that they could all hear. He said, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. Let me ask you a question. How many blind people in the Old Testament received their sight? Think back, if you grew up in Sunday school or church and you heard the Bible stories, can you think of any blind person in the Old Testament that received their sight? I went back and I counted. There's zero. Interesting. Why, why that one thing? I believe it's because God was setting it apart. Because God wanted there to be a very clear thing that a blind man was healed. And not just one. There were a number of blind people that received sight through the work of Jesus in their lives. Why do we suffer? So that the works of God can be shown in us. We often ask this question, but it's important to remember, secondly, Jesus rules over suffering. When you're going through a difficulty in your time, in your own life, yes, it may have been caused by your sin, your bad choice, those things, Jesus is still in charge. 
Does he promise to remove every suffering and every difficulty and every struggle that goes in our life? No. But he's putting it there for a purpose. I don't know what everybody in this room is going through. And then if we multiply that out and you think of all the people that you know that aren't here, we could probably stop right now at 11, 10 a.m. and say, all right, raise your hand if you know somebody's suffering and tell us their story and we'd be here till 11, 10 a.m. tomorrow or more, right? Because you could probably tell me story after story, maybe in your own life or somebody that's near and dear to you that's going through difficulty. Why do we suffer? We must remember that Jesus rules over suffering. I want you to think about this man for a minute. When was he healed? Before or after his obedience? After, right? Jesus took, he put the mud on his eyes, then he said, go to the pool of Siloam. Think about that. Jesus told a blind guy to go find a pool that wasn't close by. How's he supposed to do it? Well, I've got to find somebody else. I've got to stumble my way through the city. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. All we know is that he, he went and he found the pool and he washed his eyes. This man showed faith in God and in Jesus and, and in the command of Jesus to obey what Jesus told him to do, even though if we sit back and think about this logically for a moment, I think we would have to say this doesn't make very much sense at all. He spits on the ground. He makes mud. That's a lot of spit. And he puts it in the man's eyes. Then he tells a blind man to go find a pool and wash his eyes. Have you ever looked at things that God says or God does and you say, those just don't make sense to me? Folks, it doesn't have to make sense to us. Because remember, we're not in charge. He is. Say, but God, couldn't you have done it an easier way? Maybe he could, but that wasn't the way he chose. He chose the best way. Because he always chooses the best way. But God, couldn't you have made the trip a little shorter? Maybe Jesus, you should have led him to the pool of Siloam. Jesus, couldn't you have just brought some water with you, laid hands on him, done something else? Jesus did it that way because that's the way he chose to do it. Because God's ways are always the best ways even though sometimes his ways are way beyond us finding out because his ways are higher than our ways. See, Jesus rules over suffering. The religious leaders, think about them for a minute. See, they can't differentiate between their rules and God's laws. They, they've now elevated their rules about the Sabbath and other things equal to, or we could even say above, the law of God. See, that's the problem with religion apart from a relationship with God. Are there things that God tells us to do? Yes. Are there things He tells us not to do? Yes. So are we saying God doesn't have any rules? No, He has rules. But see, a religion apart from a relationship, if you try to follow God's rules without having a relationship with God, it doesn't work. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to be discouraged. You're going to say, what is this? This is a waste of time. We had this man who was healed. He believed Jesus. He trusted Jesus. He followed Jesus. The religious leaders, though, they begin to question him. 
They begin trying to figure out what's going on. If you read, continue reading in the passage, it says in verse number 11, He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay, anointed mine eyes, and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went, and I washed, and I received sight. Simple obedience, right? He didn't question. Okay, Jesus, why would you put mud on my eyes? No. Okay. Why do I have to go to the pool of Siloam? No. Okay, I'll just obey. He says unto him, verse 12, where is he? He said, I know not. They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind, and it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, he put clay upon my eyes, and I washed, and do see. He has to tell his story over again, right? And then, verse 16, therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Wait a minute. The guy just was healed of blindness. Let's be careful what we say is not of God when God is clearly at work. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. They said unto the blind man again, what sayest thou of him that he hath opened thine eyes? He said, he's a prophet. Right Again, this man doesn't know a whole lot about Jesus, but he at least knows who Jesus is, and he knows that Jesus is God. But the Jews did not believe him concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. They still didn't believe the guy that he was blind. First of all, well, Jesus must not be of God because he sinned. Because he healed on the Sabbath day. So they first questioned Jesus. Then they begin to question the blind man. Well, this guy wasn't really blind in the first place. He's been faking it for his entire life. Right? No, the guy was clearly blind. So then they call his parents. And they ask them, saying, verse 19, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son, and that he was born blind, but by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him, he shall speak for himself. They, they don't really want to get in the middle of this either. Yeah, he can see, that's our son, yeah, ask him. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. How sad. They had already made up their minds that they weren't going to believe even before they were asking all these questions. See, folks, when we come to God with our questions and questioning God, we've really already made up in our mind, I'm not going to believe in him. I don't care what the answers are. Does God answer questions? Sure he does. But he's given us the answers to the questions that he needs to give us answers to right here in his word. But so many people refuse to trust in God because he doesn't fit what they've imagined that God should be. They've made up their own God in their mind. And when the true God reveals himself to us through his word, we turn our backs on him because we say, well, that just doesn't fit with what I think God should be. People say things like, well, I thought God was loving, and if he was really a loving God, then why would he allow this bad thing to happen in my life? Is God a loving God? Yes. 
Well, then if he's loving, how can he allow these bad things? See, what we've just done is we've made up our own version of God. We've taken a portion of him that is absolutely true, that he is loving, and now we take something that in our minds doesn't seem very loving, and we say, well, then that must not be God. And we've made up our minds about God without letting God make our minds up about himself through his word. See, if, if the Bible says it, we've got to trust it and believe it because these are the words of God. These aren't words that I made up or somebody else made up. The men who wrote the Bible were writing under the inspiration of God himself. The Holy Spirit spoke through them to write down the exact words that he wanted them to write. This is the word of God. Sometimes it doesn't make sense in our way of thinking about things because sometimes we choose to make up who we think God is. Another thing we do is we say, well, when I look at my life, when I look at the reality of the world that I live in, it doesn't seem like God really fits with how I know the world. And what have we just done? We've made ourselves God, right? That my perspective is obviously the best perspective because I know everything. And if it doesn't fit into my perspective on life, then it must not be right. Well, I'm sorry, but who are we to think that we know everything? I do this at times. I get frustrated about a situation. I get discouraged about things. People say things sometimes. I get hurt, right? And it's because they've challenged me and who I am. But if I remember, wait a minute, I'm a child of God. I serve a God who's in control. When He allows difficult suffering in my life, he must have a purpose because he's God. I had a, a preacher friend of mine one time and he had an older man who was his mentor in the ministry and they were talking one time about difficulty and struggle that they were having. And my friend had said something that he was concerned the other, his other friend might think was rude. And so he apologized to him. He said, you know what, I'm sorry I said this about you and I didn't want you to take it the wrong way and I didn't want to be rude and I'm sorry if I was rude because that was not my intent. And he said, my friend looked at me and he said to me these words, you know what, if I'm offended, it's my own fault. What? It's your own fault? He said, because I'm a servant of God. I'm doing what God wants me to do. And if you can speak ill of me and offend me, then it's because I'm, not wor I'm worried more about what you think than about what God thinks. He said, I want to be concerned about what God thinks about me more than anything else. Because what God thinks is what really matters. And people may treat us badly. People may do things that are unkind. And I know it hurts. Because we're all flesh. We're human, right? We have our difficulties. But we've got to keep our mind and our hearts focused on Christ and what He has done for us. Jesus rules over suffering. Jesus rules over religion. These people tried to take their religion and fit it and say, well, we've already made up our minds, right, that of what we're going to do before this man even answers. That we're going to put him out of the synagogue. Verse 22, 
Verse 23, therefore said his parents, he is of age, ask him. Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, give God the praise, we know that this man is a sinner. What an arrogant statement. He answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. You may not know everything that there is to know about God. But if you have a relationship with Him, you know what He's done for you. If your sins have been forgiven, there is nothing better than having a relationship with God. That's what this man's saying. I don't know all the things that you're saying, but I do know this. I was blind. And now I see. Folks, there's a real problem with blindness in our world. And Jesus begins to point this out in the next few verses. And he's not talking about physical blindness. Well, that is a problem. He's dealing with spiritual blindness. This man understood. He said, physically, I was blind. And now I can see. I, I don't know everything that there is to know, but I know that I can see. And then they ask him again, verse 26, what did, what did, he, what did he to thee? How opened he your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you did not hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? Kind of like this guy, right? He's tired of the incessant questioning over and over. How'd you see? What a... See, it's really hard for these religious leaders to argue with the irrefutable proof. This guy was blind. People had seen him there for years and years and years. Oh, wait a minute. That may be, have been part of God's purpose so that people would be convinced, right? This wasn't a, a baby who was only a few days old, and they said, oh, he's blind, now I can see. This is a guy that everybody knew was blind, and now he could see. And these people, they're struggling with this, and this man says, well, do you want to also be his disciple? They reviled him and said, thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses, as for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, Why, herein is a marvelous thing, that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Jesus rules over religion. The parents were afraid of the religious leaders. The religious leaders took anything that seemed positive and they tried to make it negative. But this man, he had faith. He trusted in God. Sometimes we can be swayed by fear, can't we? Like these parents, they backed off because they were afraid of what might happen to them. And fear can sway us and keep us from ministry and keep us from following God and doing what God wants us to do. Fearing people is not loving them. But fearing God helps us to love people. This man, he was positive toward Jesus. He doesn't know much, but he trusts much. This man understood that he was blind, that he had a need, and that Jesus had met his need. Folks, we all have a great need, don't we? You say, well, I'm not blind. Well, let me read you a few more verses so that you can understand what he's talking about with this spiritual 
blindness. Look at verse 31. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? See, even the Pharisees knew the Old Testament, that there had never been somebody received their sight, and now it happened. It's right in their face. They have to deal with this. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They're catching themselves in their own words. They just said, well, if he wasn't of God, he couldn't do anything. Uh, wait a minute. He just did something. He just healed this guy. But see, they're trying to take the clear thing that God did and, and push it aside like it's nothing. But it clearly is something. When God is at work, when God is doing things, when people's lives are being changed, when hearts are being worked on and God is restoring families and helping people to get right with Him and forgiving sin, He's doing something. And when we see it in lives, and some of you know it in your own life, as God has forgiven you of your sin, you've been taken off of a path going the wrong way, now you're headed the right way, your life has been changed because what Jesus has done, you've gone from living in the darkness and struggle and difficulty of this world to saying, yes, I still live in the darkness, difficulty and struggle of this world, but now I know that Jesus is the light of the world and my eyes are on Him and I'm following Him. You understand when God does a work. Verse 34, they answered him and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. So these men, because they couldn't deal with the fact that this man's blindness had been healed, they just kicked him out of the church, out of the synagogue. They just said, You're not part of us. Because what had happened to him didn't fit into their human way of thinking. Jesus rules over religion. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out. See, people may reject you for following God. People may give up on you. Your family might turn on you. The people that, you know, his parents seemed to turn on him. The religious leaders turned on him. But Jesus heard. And when he had found him, oh, I love it that Jesus finds people. He found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? Remember, this is the first time this guy's seen Jesus. He didn't see him before. And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with, him, with, with thee. Verse 38, And he said, Lord, I believe and he worshiped him we all have some kind of blindness we feel like we're okay perhaps but we all are blind to our own struggles at times it's kind of like a coach right with a with a sports team Coach can look and see what the team needs to do to improve and do right. Sometimes the team, the players on the team can't see it themselves. When we live our life day to day, we may know that we have struggle. We may not admit it. This man knew he had a problem. He was blind. And so after his blindness was taken away, when Jesus comes to him and says, 
You should believe on the Son of God. The man says, well, who is he? Jesus says, I'm talking to you. And the man in one of probably the shortest statements of faith and trust and believing and following God for his life looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, I believe. Faith. For we walk by faith and not by sight. This guy didn't have sight physically. So he had to walk by faith to get to the pool of Siloam. His sight is restored by walking by faith. What a picture. And Jesus wants to do the same thing in your life spiritually. Spiritually, you are in darkness without Christ. Spiritually, without Christ, you are blind. And Jesus says, if you will have faith in me, walk by faith, I will give you light, sight, the ability to see. You don't know what you're missing when you're in blindness because you've never seen it before. But when you've been given sight through faith in Jesus Christ, there's nothing greater. This blind man, he knew he was blind. The religious leaders didn't want to admit that they were spiritually blind. So what's the cure? What's the cure to blindness? What's the cure to suffering and difficulty in our life? Very simply, this passage points out it's faith in God and worship of God. He said, Lord, I believe, demonstrated faith, and then the rest of the verse says, and he worshiped him. I don't know, but I believe. I don't know all about this man. I don't know who he is, everything that he's done, but I believe in him. He believed faith, and then he worshiped him. Faith and worship cure spiritual blindness. And Jesus, I'm sorry, verse number 39, Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. Wait a minute. What did he just say? He said, I came so that those who were blind, those who couldn't see, might be able to see. And he says, that those which see might be made blind. Some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? What do you think? Were they blind? Did they miss who Jesus was? Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, ye would have no sin. In other words, if you were like this man who was physically blind, you would understand that you had a need and your sin could be forgiven. But because you think you can say, see, but now you say, we see, therefore your sin remaineth. Folks, we can either come to Jesus as a beggar saying, I need you. I believe in you. What you can do and that you can forgive my sin, that you can take away my blindness, you can give me hope, you can give me strength in my suffering. Or we can come to Jesus like one of the religious leaders and say, I'm okay. I'm just fine. Jesus, i got a bunch of questions for you. Before I'm ever going to believe in you, i got a whole bunch of questions that you need to answer for me. 
Jesus, I don't understand. You say you're God, but why are you allowing all these difficult things in my life? Folks, there's two choices. Are you going to come to Jesus as a beggar who believes in what Jesus can do and what Jesus has done for you? Or will you come to Jesus as someone who already has all the answers and wants to live by what they can see, not by what kind of faith in the person who said he is the light of the world? So what will you do with this? If you're suffering, look to Jesus. Trust in him. Know that he has a purpose. It may not be clear to you. It might not be clear to me. You might come afterward and say, Pastor, can we talk about this? I need some help. And we may pray about it and say, you know what? I don't know the answer, but I know that God has a purpose. Stay faithful. Keep following him. Be a testimony to Christ. Lift his name up to others. Let people know what God is doing in your life, even if it is very difficult. You may be here this morning and say, I'm going through difficulty and I've never, ever, ever trusted in Jesus. I realize now I am blind spiritually. I need Jesus. I need forgiveness. I need hope. I need light. If you need that light this morning, in just a moment, we're going to bow our heads, close our eyes. The piano is going to come and play a song of invitation and come to Jesus. You say, well, how do I do that? Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. When we bow our heads and close our eyes, I want you, everybody else is going to be closing their eyes. You come up here and I'm going to have you go with somebody quietly where nobody can, nobody's around, nobody's going to be staring at you. Just somebody can take God's word and show you how you can have a personal relationship with Jesus. We're not trying to embarrass you, not trying to cause any problems in your life. We're trying to help you. Would you come to Jesus? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And would you stand with me, please, as we have our time? If you're in your seat this morning and you're struggling, you've got some difficulty, and you know Jesus as your personal Savior, you have a relationship with Him, but you've been struggling in that relationship because of some difficulty in your life, I want to pray for you this morning. If you would say by lifting your hand, Pastor, there's some struggle in my heart, my life. Would you pray for me? Would you lift your hand just quietly right where you're at? I want to be able to pray for you this morning. All right, thank you. I'll pray for those in just a moment. If you're here this morning, though, and you say, Pastor, I, I'm suffering, I've had difficulty, I've struggled my life, and I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. I've never asked Him to forgive me of my sin, and, 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 and I'm not walking in fellowship with Him. I'd like to know more how to do that this morning. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I'd like to pray for you as well this morning. All right, thank you. Let's pray. And after I say amen, you come as God leads you. If you'd like to come pray, if you need to talk to me, we'll get the help for you that you need. Father, we pray for those this morning. You've seen their hands. Lord, you see their hearts. You know the hurt, the pain, the suffering, the struggle. And so often we want to ask why. And Lord, we know there's a reason. There always is a why. But Lord, it may not be for us to know right now. Lord, it may be something that we couldn't understand. But Lord, we know you've allowed it for a purpose. Help us to glorify you through our difficulty. Lord, for those this morning who may not know you as their Savior, I pray that they would come today and trust in you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.